Thank you so much, choir, for that number. It says so much what I want to say today. Most of us know that the history from which we have just read is the history of a divided kingdom. You remember, of course, as you know biblical history, how Solomon's sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, could not take the fact that their father might favor one son over another son. So, what did they do? They argued, they debated, they contrived to be in control of the nation of Israel. When that took place, it divided the kingdom. Always distortions and anger divides. It divides the church, it divides the deacon body, it divides the Sunday school, it divides the family. So it divided the entire nation of Israel. And that created the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom known as Judah with its great thriving capital of Jerusalem. It is at this point of history that we come to read this morning. You remember, of course, that Abijah was the president, the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, and Jeroboam was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. You remember for 20 years now, Israel, the northern kingdom, had rebelled against God. They had fallen down and worshipped the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth, and the Bible said had greatly angered the Lord God of hosts. Where once Jehovah was worshipped, the gods of Baal had now been built. One day where Yahweh was held in high esteem, the gods of Ashtaroth are now held as the great gods of Israel. So a broken-hearted God admonishes Israel to repent, but she refuses to repent. And therefore God sends Judah, the southern kingdom, to war against a rebellious, decadent, disregarding people of the north of Israel. When they do, the Bible says, Judah wins a singularly distinct, unique, great, lasting, eternally consequential victory. It is a victory not only for the people of that day, but it is a symbol of a victory for people of all generations who lean upon God, who rest upon Jehovah, who put their trust in His almighty power. As you and I read a moment ago, we read the description of the victory of Judah over Israel. And did you notice that it was a victory because the Bible says the children of Judah prevailed Look at the latter part of 1318, because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. What you and I have experienced in these days of Starlight Crusade has been nothing less than the power of God. I know it has to be that, because I never planned on 1,300 people being saved. I planned on 500 being saved. Oh, ye of little faith. O oh, ye of little vision, but God intervened and wrought great and mighty victories. Now listen to me. You and I have just faced the greatest victory in the history of our great and glorious church. No church has ever seen a revival like you and I have just seen. No time in our history have we ever seen a revival like we have just seen. It is a record-breaking heaven-glorifying, Christ-honoring, devil-despising, hell-battering revival that God has brought to our midst. And we may never... And we may never see another revival just like it before or again. God has brought a great victory. As he brought to Judah 
so he has brought to us. Now Judah responded in a most unique, favorable way. And as Judah responded to the victory of God, I think you and I in like manner must respond to the victory that God has given to us. That's why today I'm preaching on this subject, what God expects after victory. What God expects after victory. What does he expect when he does something great in our midst? Does he give us a blessing in a vacuum? No. Does he give us a blessing in isolation? No. Does he give us a blessing to be received and forgotten? A thousand times no. When God blesses, he expects obedience to follow. And in this passage, you and I are going to see the way that Judah responded to their great victory over Israel, the same way that you and I must respond in the great victory God has given to us. All of the words begin with D. Note them at the desired passages. Number one, we must respond in dedication. That's the first word, dedication. That's how Judah responded. Look, if you will, in chapter 13, verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 10. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. Now, look in chapter 14, verse 2. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Isn't that a good response to victory? And here Asa, who at this moment is the king of Israel, or rather the king of Judah, the Bible said he did that which was right and good in the sight of the Lord. Here's a man that responded favorably, favorably to his God. Now, people, let me tell you something. Dedication is a requirement for victory, but it's also a response to victory. And as these people, because they were dedicated to God, brought victory, dedication brought victory, but when dedication brings victory from victory, there ought to be more dedication. Out of appreciation and gratitude to a holy and righteous God that brought it all about to begin with. Now, I love dedication when it comes from obligation. I believe God is thankful for your dedication when it comes from just a sense of your decency and your sense of responsibility. God is glad for your dedication even when it responds from an attitude of obligation. But most of all, and primarily, dedication ought to come from a heart of love. When we love God, when we love Jesus, when all of the things of the world are put aside and Christ stands before us as the one supreme Lord of our life, we don't have to work up dedication. It comes as an overflow of our love for Him. These people had a new love for God, a new love for the things of God. As I look at the fact that last week we had two ladies who had taught Sunday school together for 80 years combined, got saved. I'm just thankful. One lady said, you know, I don't know why God put up with me this long. I said he put up with you that long to bring you to this point, this point of your conversion. One deacon said he woke up one morning and uh, he said, God, would I go to heaven or hell? And the voice of God, he said, almost as if it were verbally, but not verbally, said to him, you would go to hell. Another deacon wrote me a long letter I have on my office desk right now. He said in the night, he awakened with such a powerful grip of the conviction of God on his soul 
but he saw himself in an airplane and there was no pilot. Therefore, he assumed the pilot must be God. And he said the airplane was on a fatal course, ready to be crashed. And he saw himself alone on board. And had he not awakened out of his slumber and given his heart to Christ, he would have surely been destroyed eternally. He said the next day when he got to his office, he called a deacon friend of his that he might rejoice with him. And on the telephone, he was just sharing that story and that Christ had gripped his heart and changed his life from living a lie to genuinely being born again. And he said while he was talking to that deacon, a surprise on the telephone from the other end of the line came to him and said, oh, I'm so glad you called, Jack. I got to get saved too. And he also got saved. You better be careful who you give your testimony. They might get saved. You never know. Praise the Lord. Well, what do all of these people, what, what is their reaction supposed to be? Saturday night, one of our deacon's wives said, I am worn out. That brother Bailey is wearing me out. Three weeks of a crusade. How can you stand it? I don't feel good. My feet hurt. I'm staying home tonight. So her sweet, loyal deacon husband said, well, I'm going up there to the church. This is the last night of the crusade. He was sitting by himself. All of a sudden, the invitation was given. The woman who was not coming, all of a sudden found herself walking the aisle of the stadium, giving her heart to Christ. All of a sudden, she was standing down front, publicly professing faith in Christ. She looked around, and shocking to her, there stood her deacon husband giving his heart to Christ. What are you doing here? Well, what are you doing here? Well, we're both doing the same thing here. That's right, giving our heart to Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what it's all about. And in response, we say, Lord, thank you. And we dedicate ourselves anew and afresh and a whole. And you and I understand that those who fight for Islam and communism around this world often have greater dedication to that which is damnable than you and I do to that which is truth. God, help us. Not to have our priorities so confused that we don't have the dedication we ought to because, folks, let me tell you, the devil's dedicated, the world is dedicated, the sin is dedicated, the demons are dedicated, hell is dedicated, and God forbid that you and I would be less dedicated than those who stand for a lie when we can preach the truth. Amen. The one thing I notice about these people is they did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord because of their victory. One time a policeman saw an old man leaning up against a brick wall. He had his head like this upon his hand, and he had his other hand on the wall as such. And the policeman thought to himself, an itinerant hobo, odd drunk. And he went up to that man and he said, Sir, get along. You can't be loitering in the street. Get along. The man turned around and looked at the policeman square in the face and said, Sir, my name is Billy Sunday. The policeman said, oh, oh, yes, sir, I recognize you. But what are you doing, Mr. Sunday? He said, years ago on this Chicago street, he said, as a derelict away from God, I walked into this little building, a mission. And when I walked out of it, I made a promise to God that every time I came back to Chicago, I would make my way to this street and to that building, and I would have a word of prayer and thank God that one day he brought me in bound for hell and he brought me out bound for heaven. My friend, that stadium will never be the same to me. There'll be something different about that place where the holiness of God came down and where the power of God was so evident. And may you and I never forget what God did in Starlight 1980. Now I want to say secondly, not only 
Does God expect dedication after victory? And I'm telling you, if we don't have new dedication all over our church, something's wrong. I mean, those of you that not tithe, and I'd be scared not to tithe now. You say, preacher, is God going to get me? If he doesn't, I'm going to pray well. I'm serious. I don't know how anyone could steal from the coffers of God after this especially. How can anyone not pray? How can anyone not reverence the word of God? How can anyone not witness? How can anyone miss Sunday night? How can anyone be unfaithful to winning others to Christ when God has brought unbelievable, heaven-packed victory in our midst? Dedication. Secondly, destruction. God not only expects dedication, he expects destruction. Some things have got to go. Some things have got to be destroyed. Look at chapter 14, if you will. Look at verse 3. 2 Chronicles 14, 3. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law of the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. There came a holy hush when the strange gods were torn down. American Christians are very strange. They'll get a scowl on their face when they're asked for a little bit more money for God, but they'll have a big smile on their face when they throw a $20 bill down for football tickets. America bows before the gods of its sports. They bow before the shrines of their computers. They bow before the images of their cars and their houses and their properties. My friend, it's no wonder that America's about through unless God intervenes. We need to learn destruction. There are some images that have got to go. This week, people brought their liquor bottles to the crusade. One young man called me and said, Preacher, you know anybody who wants a lot of rock records? I said, yeah, the dump does. Go put them in the dump. Four men told me they'd been sneaking Playboy magazines in their house, but no more. One fellow put a big chaw of tobacco in my pocket one night. I didn't preach about tobacco. Sure was good. No, I didn't try it. He just stuck it in my pocket. Why are all of those things happening? <laughs> one, one man said, Brother Bailey, I tell you, it's bad. He said, I used to have a pretty good personal library. He said, I've only got three books left after all this preaching. He said, I got common or committed real evangelism and real Christianity. That's all I've got left. One fellow said that he had a dream, and he said he had all kinds of gods in his life. And he said he, in his dream they were little, little clay figurines representing these images in God. And he, he said there was about 15 or 20 of them lined up, little gods and images and things that were before God in his life. And he said in his dream there stood Jesus with a sledgehammer, and he went pow, 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 got every one of them. That's a great dream, but I want to tell you something. Jesus doesn't need a sledgehammer. He doesn't need one. But that's what some of you need to do. You need to picture those images as little clay vessels that God is demolishing in your life. 
Some of you about to break up your marriage. Some of you about to break up your happiness. Some of you about to lose your job. Some of you about to fall backslidden condition away from God because you've got little images you need to get rid of. Notice the Bible says, And Asa destroyed all of the images of the false religion. Destruction needs to take place. You know some grudges left during starlight. Some bad inner feelings left during starlight. Some people that didn't love me or didn't love each other all of a sudden loved me and loved each other. That's what you call revival. Friday night I was eating ice cream and just about to take the plastic spoon to my mouth and a lady behind me. <laughs> Do you know that you can put a plastic spoon between your eye and your glasses? You really can. But I don't recommend it. <laughs> Murrain is better than strawberries in your eyes. It, it really is. But you know what? I was glad for the hug because, folks, let me tell you, when God gets control, there's no room for hurt feelings or bad attitudes or grudges. Amen? Amen. The sweet Holy Spirit of Jesus comes in and just overrules our thoughts and our lives. And our images. Oh, praise God. Some things need to be destroyed. Our littleness, our doubts, our lack of faith. They need to be destroyed. God, don't let me have the God of littleness anymore or the God of doubt anymore. But God created me a new heart and a clean heart. Number three, not only dedication and destruction, but dependence. Dependence. Look in verse uh, 10 again. Just notice that. We read it, 1310. Notice, as, but as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. Notice 15, 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear you me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, you will find you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Look in verse 4. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. Folks, let me tell you something. We cannot win our world by the votes of committees and by the conclusions of church councils. We're going to win our world by the power of Almighty God. Notice the Bible says they had a dependence upon God. God, we cannot win this without you. My friend, right is might. If we want to be a mighty church, we've got to be a church that's right with God. And it's interesting, when you look at verse 11, if you'll notice 14.11 a moment, I want you to see something. Second Chronicles 14.11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help. <laughs> Asa said, God, is really no trouble to you. Whether with many or with them that have no power, help us, O Lord our God. Now notice this next word, for we rest. Rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. Do you know the word rest there is an interesting Hebrew word? It is the same word the Bible uses for what Saul did with his sword. The Bible says that when Saul came to that point of life where he was so discouraged, he put the hilt of his sword in the ground and threw his body literally on his sword to commit suicide. The same word here for rest in 2 Chronicles 14, 11 is the same Hebrew word for Solomon thrusting himself upon his sword. And as, or rather Saul, and as Saul 
thrusted his weight upon that sword to lose his life, you and I must rest upon God totally to find our life. Oh, a dependence, learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. There must be dependence. Now, notice fourthly, there's going to be defection. Chapter 15, verse 9, look at it. Defection. D-E-F-E-C-T-I-O-N, defection. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. How many of you have the New American Standard Version this morning? Let me see. Well, in that version, you find the word defection. But here it just says in the King James Version, that the people from Israel and Manasseh and the other countries began to empty themselves into the land of Judah. They didn't want to be in that foreign country. They didn't want to be where strange gods were worshipped. They didn't want to fall down to the gods of Baal. They wanted to go where God was about something. Folks, you listen to me. This world is hungry to find one church, one church that's not operated by a bunch of deacons, that's not operated by the opinions of a preacher, that's not operated by a staff, but is run by the Spirit of God. And when a people find a church like that, they're going to come rushing to that church. Why do we have to have two services? Why are we needing to build a new auditorium? Because there's defection. People are coming away from the menace of mediocrity into a world of excellence. They're coming out of a world of sin into a world of righteousness. And my friend, if you go to a non-Bible-believing, non-Bible-preaching, non-spirit-filled church, you ought to get out of it. I'm not saying you have to join this one. But I am saying there are churches that preach the Bible and you ought not to give your time, energies, and money to one that does not. God says when victory comes, he expects defection. Just like those leaving behind the iron curtain to come to the window of light who leave the hammer and sickle to come to the stars and stripes, you ought to leave that world of sin and come into a world where you can find the freedom of Jesus Christ. You better defect quick. God said by abundance. People literally came in abundance out of those other cities in order to be a part of what God was doing in Judah. A family from Russellville, Arkansas was here a few weeks ago. I said, were you just passing through? They said, no, we got up early this morning and drove here to be a part of your service. I said, are you going to move your letter? They said, we're thinking about it. And they were serious. They said, oh, We'd love to be a part of what God's doing here. All oh, folks, there's so many of you who need to defect. You need to come out of a world of evil. You know, as great and glorious as Starlight Crusade was, I still think of those we missed. One night I baptized three little precious girls. I tell you, they're going to be movie stars. I hope they won't be, but they're pretty enough to be. They're beautiful little girls. The little girl that I was baptizing Three of us in the baptistry at once. She come up out of the water, her hair was in her eyes. She put her hair back and she was wiping the water off her face. And I couldn't tell the baptismal water from her tears. As she looked up to me and tears flowing down her little face. She said, Brother Bailey, my daddy's not saved. Mama's saved and my little sisters are saved. But Brother Bailey, my daddy's still not saved. As far as I know to this very moment, that little girl's daddy's not saved. He needs to defect. He needs to come from the captivity of the world into the freedom of Jesus Christ. And all around us little girls will kneel tonight by a bedside 
and will soak the sides of their bed with their tears when they pray, Oh, dear God, save my daddy. Dear God, I don't like mother and daddy to argue. God, I don't like mother and daddy to fight. Oh, God, give me a Christian daddy. Oh, folks, our job, our great desire is that you and I would be so on fire for God that a cold world will want to come here and defect from the world and watch us burn out for Jesus' sake. Oh, if there is one church, if there is one voice, if there is one fellowship, if there is one place that stands all out for God, all out for Christ, all out for the Holy Spirit, let it be this place. May the world not die in hunger and anguish and loneliness and dejection because they can't find a place where God is real and the Bible is true and heaven is sweet and hell is hot. But if the world has a need, let it be met by First Southern Baptist Church of Dell City, Oklahoma. Oh, may we not leave a seeking world without something to find. Defection. God says when he brings victory, he expects defection. Now, I want to say number five, and this is where I almost got on shouting ground. I couldn't believe all this was in one passage. There's the word determination. Look at 2 Chronicles 14, 7. There's the word determination. Therefore he said unto Judah, now you watch this verse because it's going to jump up and hit you in a minute. Therefore he said unto Judah, that's his people, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Notice the phrase please, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he hath given us rest on every side. Are you ready? So they built and prospered. I don't believe that was ever in the Bible until this week. <laughs> I believe God just all of a sudden put that passage in the Bible. So they built. What a response to victory. Do you know why they did? Because every step along the path of victory, there are ever ascending staircases of faith. And if somewhere along that ascending scale of victory, one stops, then the prosperity stops. Why do we have Starlight 80? Because one day a group of you reached down into your pockets and you gave so a building like this could be built. And I'm sure back there there were those who said, oh, it's too big. No, the building's not too big, you're too little. My friend, you listen to me. Don't you ever judge God's will by your own personal limitations. Just because you're too little in faith to think as big as God's thinking, don't you let that stop you. You be careful. When I read that passage and I examined it through commentary after commentary, I realized that God was saying to them, All right, I've given you a victory over Israel, your enemy. But if I've done that, I want to see how many victories you want in the future. Are you going to build those cities? Are you going to build that wall? Why do we want that auditorium that we have planned? We want it not as a monument to anything, but as a facility by which we can better do what God wants us to do. Who would have ever thought, listen to me, who would have ever thought that we would have had 13 people saved in Starlight. I never would. I never would. 
Who would have ever thought we could build a 5,000 seat auditorium? The same one that thought we could have 1,300 seats. Amen? Amen? My friend, I believe God has put First Southern Baptist Church on the threshold of its greater days. But unless we follow through now, our greater days may well be in the past. God forbid. Now, let me show you an interesting aspect of this story. Look, if you will, back to 13. Look in chapter 13. And um, look at verse 12. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight you not against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment. Now for those in Oklahoma, that just means ambush. <laughs> to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priest sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Now here they were fighting the enemy, and all of a sudden they looked up, and behind them there was an ambush. Now, folks, First Southern Baptist Church has been ambushed. We've got inflation behind us and soaring interest in front of us. We have been ambushed. Now, what happens, listen to this statement, what happens when obedience brings crisis? I know for one thing I was obedient when I led us to build that auditorium. But what happens when obedience brings crisis? One of two things. Reaction number one could have been the reaction of Judah. We didn't know about that ambush. Yes, God, we were for you, but God, you can't expect us to go ahead and fight. We didn't know about the ambush. God, we didn't know about that high interest. God, we didn't know a $4 million building was going to cost $11 million. God, I didn't know it was going to take that. Don't you mean business for me? Well, God, I did. I have seen so many weak-hearted people commit themselves to Christ until they were really required to show they meant business for God. And then when they got to that point, when they realized the enemies were all around them, then they could no longer take it. And they turned cowardly and backed up from their commitment to God. These people had the enemy in front of them, the enemy behind them. But what did they do? They wrought a great victory for God. Aubie, where's my plans? They're not where they're supposed to be. All right, let me get them. I tell you, folks, here are the... Good, not a mercy. Here are the plans for the new auditorium. Complete. Absolutely complete. And they're heavy. I want you to know they're heavy. But as I looked through these yesterday in my office, I said, God, what you could do with this? You say, can God not do a lot with this? God can do a lot with nothing. But he can do more with something. Folks, you and I have an opportunity to say to a whole world, we want to be the evangelistic voice of the whole world. I don't believe we have a right to stop. I don't believe we have a right to stop. 
Where are we going to get $11 million? I hope one of you give it to us. I don't know where we're going to get $11 million. I wish somebody watching us on television today would send us a million dollars. You see, God will not do any other place exactly what he's doing in Dell City, Oklahoma. I've had people say to me, well, why don't, you, why don't you quit being a pastor and go across the church and lead other churches to it? Folks, it's not Bailey Smith that's brought this about. God has brought it about. I could go elsewhere and it not happen. God, you see. Now, if God has chosen to bless Dell City, I don't know why. I guess he just loves us in spite of ourselves. And I believe we ought to be the best that God wants us to be. The Bible says they built and they prospered. They built and they prospered. Do you believe that? Folks, I believe that. Matching our amens are going to have to be our dedication. I want us to build something to show the world that God is still on the throne and his power is still real and power is still strong. Do you remember when Ronald Reagan got through with his speech the other night? I watched it on television in Arkansas at a person's home. He got through and Ronald Reagan said, I want us to all bow our heads for a moment of silent prayer. Out across that Republican convention, and when they got through, Ronald Reagan looked out at those people and he said, God bless America. Afterwards, a reporter said, Mr. Reagan, why did you do that? He said, I was afraid not to. You know what I think about not building that building? I'm afraid not to. I'm afraid not to because of what God's plans. You say, well, preacher, I just can't get caught up in it. Well, get on your knees. Get on your knees. I am not being funny. I am as serious. There is nobody in this building right now that that building will cause more worry and headache than the man you're looking at. But I'm not concerned about me. I'm concerned about what God wants. You say, preacher, your heart's just set on building that building, isn't it? No, my heart is not set on building that building. My heart is set on us being everything God wants us to be. And if that building is an indication of that, we must do it. They built and they prospered. I cannot imagine what blessings of God are going to come if you and I launch out in faith and do what we ought to do. They built and they prospered. <laughs> As a result, to the victory of God. I predict if you and I do that, Starlight 80 will, will be like a primary picnic compared to what God's going to do in the future. Well, number six. I know it's 1201, but I'm not through. Number six is the word delight. And that's the last word. The word delight. Look in chapter 15 for a moment. This is such a beautiful passage. Notice 15. And they offered unto the Lord, this is verse 11, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their heart, amen, amen. and with all of their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. Whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord. Now listen to this. With a loud voice. Must have had Gerald Henson back there then. And with shouting. And with trumpets. And with cornets. They had Ron Cox too. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath. 
for they had sworn with all of their heart and sought him with their whole desire, for he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. One thing you and I need to do is just rejoice in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Thank the Lord. Celebration, happiness, excitement. You know what I read? A young girl at the Manitoba Province Dental Convention broke the Guinness World Record that used to be seven hours and 30 minutes for smiling. She smiled 10 hours and five minutes. Now, folks, you'll have to admit, you don't get truths like this from every sermon <laughs> you hear. But when I read about Lisa Lester smiling for 10 hours and five minutes, I said, oh, shucks, that's nothing. We're going to rejoice eternally. Because of all that God has done. Look at chapter 16, verse 9, and I'm through. I want you to read that verse out loud with me. Read 16, 9 with me. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Wherein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. God help us to be the church that God finds worthy of his blessings. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Before I speak to these in the auditorium, let me say to those watching at home that there is a number on your screen that you may call and give your heart to Jesus Christ. My friend, if you're not saved, be saved today. If you have a decision to make, you make it. Give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to give your heart to the Lord. Today there are those that are gathered that need some idols destroyed, some images destroyed. Some of you need to quit fooling around about joining this church and get with it today. Others of you need to be saved. Others of you need to just say, I, I'm, I'm tired of living a lie. I'm going to give my heart to Christ. Some of you have been having doubts, a lack of faith, been thinking small, and you just want God to lift the level of your thinking and of your commitment and of your faith today. I'm going to ask you to come. Whether it's to be saved or to move your letter or to join by statement, do it today. My friend, don't wait. Don't wait. Let today be a, the day of decision. God has some requirements after victory. I pray that we shall meet them and continue to be the great and glorious church that God wants us to be. Father in heaven, how I thank you for loving us and caring for us. How I thank you, Father, for the scores of people that have been saved during the crusade. But, oh, Father, there's so many more that need to come today to be saved. There are families that need to come, young couples that need to come and move their letter, come by statement or join by baptism. I pray that today will be the moment of decision. God, may no one go away lost, but may they come to be saved and may people who have not been active in a church where their membership is, may today they move that membership. May they defect from coldness. May they defect from mediocrity. May they defect from idleness and compromise and come into a place where you're blessing. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.